Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. We're in John chapter 7. If you want to follow along, read you the passage, then we'll jump into it. John chapter 7, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea, because the Jews there wanted to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea, so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. We are seven chapters in to the book of John. And now Jesus is six months away from going to the cross. So scale this out. Seven chapters, two and a half years. The next 14 chapters are the final six months of Jesus' life. And that's really not even fair because the last several chapters occupy the week of the Passion, the week of Passover, when he goes into Jerusalem. It's like a microscope. And so you look through this telescope and you see this thing and then there's this zooming in and now what John is doing is he's bringing us real close he's giving us a very detailed picture and what he's showing us is that there's a lot going on there's a lot of moving parts to this passage of scripture the first part Jesus is going around Galilee I don't know if you remember this but as far as the way the uh, the way the Bible lands look Galilee Samaria Judea okay Galilee, Sea of Galilee, or Sea of Galilee over here, actually. Sea of Galilee, Samaria, then Judea, Dead Sea, over on that side. So, Jesus is up in this Galilee area, and he's not going down to Judea. And his brothers say to him, look, you're a miracle worker. You're a miracle worker. So, go show yourself to the world. Go show yourself to the world. I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, like, and maybe it's just a guy thing, I don't know. Do you sense like something's afoot here when you read through it? Do you think about your own brother? Do what I dare you. Go ahead. Triple dog dare you. Chicken. Right? I read this and I'm like, something's not right here. Jesus went around in Galilee purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there wanted to kill him. When John writes Jews, he does not mean all the Jews. What he means is the Jewish leaders. That's his way of saying the leaders, the religious leaders. Not the Jews in general. The Jews in general, the majority of them, loved Jesus. A lot of them followed him. Jesus had made tons and tons of disciples. 
And if you remember, we get to chapter 6, and there's several disciples who begin to kind of fall away from Jesus' teaching. And they begin to kind of back out of it, like, I don't know. Like, this Jesus guy is taking this thing a little bit too far. It's a little too much. Making some pretty grandiose claims. I don't know that I want to, I don't know that I can associate myself with that. He goes down, he goes down to, uh, he's, he's talking to his brothers. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles came or was near, Jesus' brother said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, not a contributor to scripture, but we have his work. First century Jewish historian says, Feast of Tabernacles, that's the biggest, most celebrated most festive time of the year, this feast. Everybody goes. Now think about this as of men, dads. Think about this. Here's what you did for the Feast of Tabernacles. There's three feasts that men had to go to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem. I'm sure I've told you this before. Jerusalem is always up. I don't care if you're north of it or if you're south of it. You're always going up to Jerusalem because of elevation and because it's the holy city. You go up to Jerusalem. Three feasts a year. Tabernacle, Passover, Pentecost. You go to those three. All Jewish men do. Tabernacles is a very cool one. In fact, I think and I suggest that next year, around the Feast of Tabernacles, that we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles here. Because it's pretty cool. Think about what this looks like. The dads all build tents. You travel to Jerusalem and you build these little lean-to shelters and you and your family stay in them. Can you imagine that as a little guy? What a cool, we're going to go to Jerusalem and build our own house. And all the women are like, there's no running water? This feast sucks. <laughs> I don't want to go to that one, you know? No, no, no. We're going camping. We're going camping. It was to the point that if you lived in Jerusalem, you didn't have to travel to Jerusalem. You know what you did? You put your tent on top of your house. You went up there and you stayed. All oh, the little boys, like you feel that deal inside of you as a little boy, like that would be so much fun, you know? How cool was sleeping outside? This is so fun. It's such a neat deal, you know? Wow, how cool. This is what you did. Travel to Jerusalem, build your tent, and all of Jerusalem is covered in tents. And so there's all these little boys looking at each other from across. My dad built a better tent than your dad. Your tent sucks, you know? Like, it's just this cool, it's just such a good feeling in the whole place. Everybody loves it. And there should be. It should be a joyous occasion. It's to commemorate the time that the Israelites came out of Egypt and that God brought them out and he walked them through the desert and he tabernacled with them. He lived in a tent with his people in the desert. And it's to commemorate how God was faithful. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. Everybody goes to this. It is a joyous, joyous occasion. But you can see this one's a little tainted already. They haven't even left yet. Jesus' brothers are like, if you're so special, go to Jerusalem. Show it off there. You got believers there, don't you? Go there. Show, show off your stuff. Show them what you got. I mean, you want to be a public figure, obviously. 
You wouldn't go around doing miracles if you didn't want to be a public figure. If you want to be a public figure, you don't do these things in secret. Go to Jerusalem. What are you doing here? Staying in the countryside? Go to the city. Make some real, make some real disciples. Jesus' response is, time is not right. Time is not right. Therefore, Jesus told him, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to the feast because for me, the right time <clears throat> has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, the Jews were watching him and asking, where is that man? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering, a murmuring. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. This is supposed to be a festive occasion and it's getting a little dark. I don't know that, that a more fitting passage could show up in our life, honestly. Right between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's supposed to be a pretty festive occasion, isn't it? Yet every year, there are some of us who go into that holiday like, oh, brace yourself for war. This is going to be bad. This is going to be stressful. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be painful. This is going to be sad. This is going to be lonely. It's supposed to be good. There's this interesting study through scripture about timing. The timing has something to do with God and you and circumstances. The timing has to be right for some things to happen. Let me read you just a few of these. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. 1 Timothy 6. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. Romans 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. It's as if Jesus' entire life was orchestrated down to the minute. Now, I don't think Jesus knew everything that was coming all the time from the beginning, from birth. But I think as time would go on, I think God would reveal to him, now here's where we're going next. Here's what's happening next. And I think he had to be okay in the minute and learn to get his head around it. I think that's why we see in Scripture these moments to where Jesus leaves the disciples and he goes up to a mountain and he prays because I think God had revealed something to him. 
And now he's got to set and he's got to figure this thing out. How does he live a holy life in the midst of all the chaos? Pretty fitting for this time of year. How are you supposed to do that? Timing seems to be pretty special. Jesus' response is somewhat funny, really. My time has not yet come. For you, any time will do. It's almost like there is a divine plan and schedule for me. You made it out of bed. You know, it's like I've got a thing that I have to do that's pretty big. You got to keep your head above water. I got this thing I got to go do. It's heavy. What else is interesting about this is it's almost like he's, it's almost double talk. My time has not yet come. The, the season has not yet come. This is tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. It's six months. The next feast is the Feast of Passover where he will become the Passover lamb during that week, which is his passion, crucifixion, our salvation. The season has not yet come. I can't exactly go be a Passover lamb at the Feast of Tabernacles now, can I? But at the Feast of Passover, I can. But they wouldn't understand that. There's something about the orchestrated time of things. I don't think that's something you can understand when you're younger, do you? Like, when you're younger, it's hard to understand the timing. It's just like, what a coincidence. When you get older, you kind of start looking behind you like, that was way weird. That was... Can you imagine if they wouldn't have showed up when they showed up? Could you imagine what would happen if we would not have made that choice when we made that choice? That's not me. I don't make good choices. I didn't make that cho Like, that was an accident. God did that for me. That's freakish. I don't think you can understand it because you haven't had enough time to understand it. But as you get older, you begin to go, all these things are matching up. That's just weird. I was just thinking, we should start going to church. And then you know what happened? It's the way those stories always go, isn't it? I was just thinking, you know what? We really need to do this and this. And then I got a phone call. I was just praying the other day, Lord, I need more patience. Timing is exactly right. It's always perfect. Book of Romans says, Therefore all things work together for the good of those who love God and live according to His word. Timing has something to do with that. And what Jesus is saying is it's not time. It's not time. When I hear His brother's words, there's this part of me that kind of just, I want to talk bad about him. I'm not going to, but I'm just... And it brings up this question for me. <laughs> and I'm not asking because it's personal to me. I'm sure it's more of a problem on your end than it is on my end. But when is it okay to give up on someone? When can you write them off? I'm asking for a friend. I don't. When is it okay? Mm. I don't know who said that, but... Keep your comments to yourself. <laughs> I'm kidding. And I don't mean 
damn them to hell. I don't mean that. I mean, when can I be done with them? When can I take my hand and stop extending it to them and put it back in my pocket and say, let the chips fall where they may? I mean, I really... It's a hard one, right? I mean, I'm not alone in this, right? This is... And it's kind of strange this passage lands where it lands between Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know? It's supposed to be such a festive time, and there's always those things, those... When is it okay? Maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe that is the wrong question. Maybe the question isn't, when can we give up on somebody? Maybe the, the better question is, how in the world do I keep my faith and my character intact while I have to go from being with you back into the valley of the demon possessed? How do I keep that And again, I'm sorry if this sounds like therapy. I'm not just talking about my situation. I love my family. My parents are great. I got a wonderful brother. I got a wonderful sister. They're all very entertaining. Family's a good thing. I'm not, I'm not anti-family at all. I'm very pro-family. But if we're going to be honest, family does cause a little bit of a thing. Sometimes. It's almost because of the expectation. The expectation is that these people should be on my side all the time. And then you find out that they're not always on your side. Sometimes you're just wrong. But that's not typically the problem. They're wrong. That's the problem. And I look at Jesus' situation. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a common theme in Scripture. When can you give up on someone? Oh, here's one. Peter comes to Jesus. Hey, how many times do I have to forgive my brother if he sins against me? Like, seven times? Listen, Peter gave him four more times than I would, you know? Seven times? Jesus goes, oh, no, I wouldn't say seven. And Peter's like, good. I would say 70 times seven times. Yeah, but, yeah, but you don't know my brother, <laughs> you know. You don't know him. If you knew him, you might rethink it. Because 70 times seven is a lot of forgiveness. Too much, if you don't mind me saying Jesus. 70 times 7? Then you got other passages. If your brother sins against you, go to him privately. Show him his sin. If he repents, you've won your brother over. But if he does not, go get a friend. Bring them in. Show him, show him his sin. If he still does not repent, throw him out and treat him as you would a tax collector or a sinner. I like that one. That's a pretty good one. Really? Oh, yeah? You know you did this wrong? No? Come here. Hey, hey, remember I was telling you about him the other day? Yeah. Sh tell him. You did it wrong, didn't you? You did it wrong. You ready to say sorry? No? All right. Let's throw him outside. This is going to be perfect. What a perfect solution. We just go around throwing each other out of the church all day? Do you see it? No, come here. Do you see it? Yeah, all right, you're out. You know? The problem is, at some point, somebody else is going to have to preach, you know? <laughs> That's going to be the... 
we're going to get in that place. And maybe probably somebody better, you know? I mean, this, we're going to get to that place. We should be throwing each other out. Scripture is dominated by sibling rivalry. Cain and Abel. Jacob and Esau. Joseph and his brothers. The story of the prodigal son, though metaphorical, fits. Sibling rivalry runs through the course of Scripture. When can I be done with somebody I'm related to? When? I mean, I just want to know, Jesus, when can I be done with somebody that I'm related to? Jesus is right there in that place. And again, I know that's not the right question, and I hope this doesn't come off as, as I hate my family, because I don't. I love them. I love them. Absolutely love them. Jesus says, why don't you guys go ahead and go on up to the feast? I'm not going to go yet. Now, some have said that the brothers have said this, trying to force his hand a little bit. Look, you're the Messiah. You're the, at least the political Messiah. I don't know about your divinity and all that other kooky stuff you talk about, but I do believe that you could take over and we could get Rome out of here. What are you waiting on? Go. Maybe. I mean, maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's the other side. Maybe it's that patronizing, oh, you know what? I grew up with little Mr. Perfect Jesus. Always had the right answer. Mom would say, take out the trash, and Jesus would take out the trash. Didn't matter what it was. Yes, mom. Yes, mom. Yes, mom. In fact, that's what we call him. Yes, mom. Oh, there goes Jesus. Yes, mom. Yes, mom. Just doing every single thing. You know what, fella? How about this? Why don't you take all your cute little miracles and all your little magic tricks and march up to Jerusalem and show them off there? See what happens next. There's really no good argument on either side. But I can tell you this. There's a verse that says clearly how they felt. Verse 5, chapter 7, verse 5. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. You can try to put the emotion to what they're trying to do, and you can maybe put words in their mouth, and you can paint them in, a, in an ugly light, and you can say maybe they're trying to do this, maybe they're trying to do that. Here's what I do know. I don't know about the rest. Here's what I do know. When he said, I'm the bread of life, they said, this guy this was the first time there was another time Jesus was preaching and his mother and his brothers showed up and they thought that he had lost his mind and they said that we are here to collect our brother and he said who is my mother and my brother well he who does the will of God you they're like he is insane he's been doing this to mom as long as we can remember this is what Jesus does he's been doing this every Christmas he does the same thing every feast that we go to, he does the same thing. From the first one to now. When he was 12, he got lost up there. Do you remember? Because he wandered off. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Oh, Mr. Captain Holy Pants, always doing the same thing all the time. You can almost hear it. They didn't believe in it. Sounds pretty rough. This is wrong, but I'm going to say it anyway. Sometimes I put people in three different categories. My guess is you do too. Good investment. 
risky venture, guaranteed bankruptcy. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is one of those things we're not supposed to say it, but I've never been good at that. Good investment, risky venture, <laughs> guaranteed bankruptcy. In fact, I think I can scripturally even do this. Chapter six has all three. Good investment, the 12 disciples. Risky venture, the other disciples that had been following Jesus all along. And then he said, I came from heaven, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they're like, ugh, out, out. Risky venture. He had, them on the, he had them on the line. Like, maybe they're in, maybe they're not. We don't know. How's it going to pan out? Don't know. Risky venture. Can we count on them? Don't know. And even chapter 6 says this. For he knew who it was who would betray him. Speaking of Judas. Guaranteed bankruptcy. It's hard for me to not put people like that in their boxes. This person... Good investment. This is good for them. It's good for me. This is a relationship. We're both going to get better as we trek towards becoming more like Jesus. This is going to be good. Then there's these other group of people. I don't know if this is a good venture, but you know what? I like them. And I think Jesus likes them. And I don't know what's going to happen with their life, but I enjoy my company with them. And they're fun. And this is good. Then there's that last group. You know that group. The ones you kind of sit back at a distance. Maybe you don't even see them in person very often. Your Facebook friends, you like to just watch their life deteriorate pixel by pixel, scroll by scroll, swipe by swipe. Oh my gosh, look at this. Look at this. I tell you what, if I hear one more word, <laughs> I'm going to like Lost causes, lost causes. We stand back in that place. What a lost cause. Maybe I'm asking the wrong question. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. When can you cut somebody off? And maybe it's not even, how do I keep myself intact in, in my character, my faith, and my compassion? as I kind of storm ahead into difficult situations. Maybe those aren't the right questions either. Maybe, the, maybe the, the right question is, is it my place? Is it even my place? Not, not something I've thought much about, but maybe that's the real question. Maybe it's not even my place. I got three little helpful hints for you and then I'll let you go. There's three ways we can deal with the people in our life. We can deal with them like passenger planes. Mm. And this is such a warm thought. And I've, I've said this before. Let me just emote about this for just a moment. I love our town. Like I love Iola. And I know you who were raised here are just like, you should go other places and try it out. <laughs> I know, I, I know that's how you feel. I know that's how you feel. Um, but, but for me, love it. Like, it's been so, it has been so good to me. 
passenger planes. You know, the people that you let in, the people you don't mind breathing the same cabin air as them, related or not related. You don't mind sitting and doing nothing for hours on end. It's valuable. You find great value in it. You laugh about the stupidest stuff. You just sit there. You look out some little bitty cheesy window and you just enjoy the company of the person who's taking your armrest. You don't mind. This is a passenger plane and you're on it with people that you love and you care about. That's how I feel about Iola and the people that I've met here. Like, this is good. Like, I like it here. It's good for me here. It's comfortable here. Like, I don't mind that you're weird. You obviously don't mind that I'm weird, you know? And this is good. Like, we're, we're good. And this is the kind of place that we pray for each other and we pray with each other. And we have conversations and we get better together. Those are easy to like. It's easy to like people who you let on your plane. If you had a plane, you wouldn't let everybody on your plane. You only let some people on your plane. Why? Because it's your plane. So you, you let whoever you want on your plane. Little circles, you know? That's one way you do it. You take the people who are close to you, who you love, who you just enjoy time with, and you just spend as much time with them as you possibly can. Doing it does not matter what. Does not matter what. Setting and talking and telling ridiculous stories and laughing and just enjoying each other's company. That's one. And celebrate it. The next one's helicopters. Helicopters, you got to be careful. Now, I've never flown a helicopter, and you're probably thankful for that, but I've never flown one. But everything I've seen is you got to be pretty careful where you fly a helicopter. Because you can take it into some pretty turbulent places and get yourself tossed around. Here's the other thing about helicopters. There's not a lot of room in there for a lot of other people. Sometimes what you do is it's kind of like a search and rescue type of mission. And somebody gets in trouble and they need help. And you kind of have to come in. And your approach to some people who are dangerously unhealthy is you get as close as you possibly can without pouring every single bit of yourself out for them. And here's the reason why. Because sometimes people aren't ready to change because the timing isn't right. And so what you have to do is you have to back up and hover from a distance. Now here's, here's, the, here's another way you can do it. You can pull all the way up into the storm, let it bang you around, spin you in a circle, throw you to the ground, all your goods and everything you're trying to help this person with, dump them out, and they're just ruined. Do you think you're going to have a little bit of resentment in that situation? My guess is yes. Do you think you're going to have a little bit of uh, anger towards a deal to where you have put in work and put in work and put in work and the timing just wasn't right. They just weren't there yet. And you poured too much, and they gave too little, and the timing wasn't right, and now it's over, and you're done. You're done. You start asking questions like, when can we be done with people? So you back up, and you recognize the fact that, you know what? It's not time. And by continually pouring yourself out, do you think you're going to have anything left to give? If that person actually turns and comes back, if they change, if they repent, if they hand their life over to God, are you going to be ready to love them or is it going to be more of the same? No, no. You had your last seven last chances already. I'm done. So you back up and you hover from a distance 
Because listen, you know what I know about the world? Not very much. But you know what I know? The wheels are going to fall off at some point for everyone. It's wired into the fabric of everything. Everything has a half-life. You have a half-life. Everything. It's going to fall apart at some point. Do you want to be able to be there to help put somebody back together? Then you don't go all in. Sometimes it's just too turbulent. You need to back yourself out of that situation and wait for a minute. It's kind of like when people come and they say, hey, can I get your advice? And I'm sure you've had this happen. Hey, can I get your advice on something? You say, yeah, sure. You give them your advice. And then they go, yeah, uh, do you have any better advice? <laughs> like, well, I mean, move us into a different pay bracket, you know. Cost you a little more for my real good advice. No, I don't have any more advice. This is the best I've got. You kidding me? You got a second opinion? No, I think do the first thing first and let's see what happens. I don't really like that one. Six months later, they came back. Hey, I got the same problem. Did you do the first thing? No, I told you I didn't like the first thing. Okay. I have been thinking about it for six months, trying to come up with a brand new idea. No, there's no new news. Do the first thing. (laughs) Off you go. It's over. That's it. So what you do is you back yourself out of the situation. You hover. You wait. You have to keep compassion in your heart. If you go into that deal, you won't have it. Timing matters. These are people that you pray for and when you can, pray with. You offer them your advice. You don't throw your pearls before swine. Not suggesting everybody's a pig. I'm just saying that sometimes you just don't take over and over. Listen, I can do that. I've had a lot of good people come and say, hey, you're pouring a little too much into that deal. You're pouring too much into that deal. Like, really? Nah. Hey, did they take the first part? No. Okay, back out. It's going to happen. Third one is the ambulance. Sometimes, you know what you do? You just let them go on and go on. Just go. The timing's, I got nothing for you, you got nothing for me. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to keep praying for you. And I would tell you that if you've got somebody in your life who causes you a massive amount of pain or annoyance, and they get under your skin, and the relationship isn't smooth. You find yourself building up resentment towards these people. Listen, you got, sometimes you put them in the ambulance. And you pat the back door. Lord, they belong to you. And Jesus has got the same thing happening right inside his family. It's not like these are Jesus' brothers. We don't know who they are. James, Jude, Jose, or Jose. Simon he's got four brothers and the four brothers say well go on Jesus go do it it's a good thing it's a good thing we didn't have the kind of powers Jesus had huh get smart again see what happens I'll feed you to the masses five loaves two fish that's what you are now (laughs) 
get him. But he doesn't. He says, the time is always okay for you, but the time is not okay for me. They didn't even believe in him. Then something happens. This is so cool. Acts chapter 1. This is right after the ascension. Here, I'll read it to you. Acts chapter 1, verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he, meaning Jesus, was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. This is after the resurrection. Jesus came to them and he spoke to them, and then he ascended into the clouds. And the angel said to him, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand here gazing into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And the the 11 disciples, Judas no more, but the 11 disciples are standing there looking at the sky like, what in the world? As their Savior goes back, just as he said he would in John 6. They go back to Jerusalem. Then they return to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day walk from the city. Sabbath day walk means a short distance. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. They all joined together in constant prayer along with women, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and who? His brothers. Wow. His brothers. The ones who were not on the team and then suddenly were on the team. What changed? The resurrection. The resurrection is what changed them. If the people in our life do not see the power of the resurrection in us, how can we expect them to be any different? I'll ask one more time. If the people in our life cannot see the power of the resurrection in us, why on earth would they ever change their behavior? Why would they ever be any different? If they can't see it in us, why would they be any different? See, the power of the resurrection is seen in our words, in our actions, in our generosity, the way we love others, the way we care for others. That's where the power of the resurrection makes a world of difference. And when we go into places, it's noticed and it's recognized. 